This is the official Covering the Corner podcast, episode 184. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and this week's episode, talk about some meatballs, some fun things that happened over the last couple weeks of Cleveland Guardians baseball games, talk about Kyle Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie emerging so far late in the season, and if the 2022 rotation is already set, um, other people come back from injuries, and we got Kyle Quantrill and McKenzie just slinging the ball. We talk about Little League Classic, which happened on Sunday. That was a whole lot of fun before the game, and uh, just the, the fun of the players interacting with the kids during the game. Talk about Fanatics taking over baseball cards starting in 2026, or maybe even earlier. Um, what that can mean, I guess that's not really Cleveland-related, but just sort of baseball in general. It's kind of a big thing. And we'll talk about Miles Straw, since this is our first podcast um, a ways away from the All-Star break. The last one was right after it. We'll talk about the, uh, the sort of mini-emergence of Straw and, and having a real center fielder for at least a couple of weeks, and see if we think that can continue and what he's done so far for Cleveland. Uh, joining me for all that more, another some Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how you doing? Hey man, I'm really good. Thanks for uh, it's, good, great, it's great to be back. Yak and baseball. That's that's actually our name. We had nobody's nobody other podcast is even close to yak and baseball. So that's you know what I, I take that over. you know what I do like is the fact because there's some podcasts that doesn't do the heavy intro music. Some do not. Those are very lo-fi. This one though, it's not like long. Like there's one podcast I listen to that has like a minute and twenty seconds of music. I'm like, I don't need this. Like just riding that skip button. Let me get through this bad boy. All right. <laughs> I feel like I got the right like, length there. I, I struggled with it at first, and then with our this is like our third iteration of the intro, I think, and I think I like it now. Especially since starting the last one, I'm just going to start putting little tidbits of little clippets of what we say at the beginning out of context, and because I used to say the the let's talk let's talk trap at the beginning, but then I took that out and I didn't re-record anything, so now I'll just stick whatever in there and see if it'll work. Oh, I love it. But yeah, it's very pleasant. And um, obviously, listeners, just so you know, if we ever get uh, advertisers, we will do all that in the front. So you can just ride that skip button through all that Joe Rogan style. He knows what he's doing. He may produce some garbage, but... <laughs> advertisers, if you know. We have listeners. I didn't know if you know, but uh, we do have at least several. Yeah, uh, advertisers, least... ignore what I just said and give <laughs> us money for this podcast. <laughs> we, we focus on the ads. Um, but, but more important than ads, Merit, is... Uh, I messed up the segment. Do you know what's more important than ads, Merritt? Nothing. Advertisement's what drives you. Meatball. American economy. (laughs) (laughs) Meatballs, Merritt, and the American economy are both more important than ads. Um, So yeah, this is our meatball section, of course. It's been a little while, but um, I I know you said you had two. So what is your fun little thing that happened in Cleveland baseball recently? Two delicious meatballs on top of this big old plate of baseball spaghetti. Yum, yum, yum with my marinara sauce. Uh, I was thinking baseball pie, but spaghetti wouldn't be good on that. Why would you have meatballs on top of of pie? like it. (laughs) Not in a good place. The marinara sauce is like the, I no. What's a marinara sauce? I don't know. Anyway, Uh, (laughs) I don't forget what marinara sauce is baseball lingo. Lingo. So I still have this from uh, from uh, Jeff Ellis, who I think we both follow on Twitter. Uh, Jeff pointed out that in game one of this past weekend series against the Angels, uh, Cleveland out-hit the Angels 15-4. to Now, not only did they out-hit the Angels 15-4 in that game, they out-hit the Angels for the entire series in that one game, the Angels having 11 hits uh, to Cleveland's 15 in just that one game. Uh, but even beyond that, the Angels scored two runs in the entire series, <laughs> and uh, Cleveland scored... What, nine, five, and three, I believe is what it was. So <laughs> I think they scored two in multiple innings. So that was a. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's not often you see um, a team 
So middling to be, you know, nice as Cleveland. Uh, just oh, so utterly just destroy a team. It also happens to have the probably the avowed MVP on it, who was held to like two hits too. He was one, one for four, uh, oh for four, and did he get a hit? And then oh, no, one Tristan for McKenzie two. stuck him out. I think every time he was or Kyle Quantrill uh, yeah, during well, the Little Classic just dominated. Show Otani. That was great. He did not actually. Um, he did walk him twice and give him a hit. But I know. Was I thinking of McKenzie? One of them did. Really you are well. thinking of McKenzie. Yeah, McKenzie yeah. was one with the, with the hot out, the, the hot out in the theater. Struck him out three times. Um, but yeah, no. He just. I mean, they absolutely just shut them down. I mean, it's not like it's a it's a well balanced team or particularly a great team. They're they came into the the series uh, a five hundred team at sixty two and sixty two and left or sixty two and sixty one and left uh, sixty two and sixty four. It seems like they're always right around there too. They're basically the the Titans, the Jeff Fisher era Titans of yeah, the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're giving your classic seventy nine and eighty four, which is the, the that, that is that's that seven is the seven, <laughs> yep, that is the seven and nine of uh, of, of baseball uh, records right there. Not not seventy and ninety or whatever. No, it's seven and nine. Says seventy nine eighty four is a miserable record. I I, I I hate. I'm worried that Cleveland will roll is going to end up with that kind of a season this year. It feels like that kind of a season. And seventy nine eighty four, yeah, somewhere around there, like slightly below five hundred. I think they seem a little better right now because I mean they just demolished the Angels, but also the Angels are really bad. But they also play like uh, the Red Sox coming up. They play the Twins again, who they just got swept by. They play the Brewers, the Yankees. So they're they're not having they're not playing the Angels for the next month. So <laughs> I think a below five hundred season is fine at this point, or is, is inevitable at this point. I don't know about inhe- inevitable. I think I mean well, they, they did get swept by the Twins, but they did lose two of those in extra innings. And I mean, extra inning games at the point are coin flips. So, look, I'm not sitting here and saying they're good, but I don't think they're super stink. They're just kind of kind of mediocre. And I, I think 83 and 79. 83 and 79. Yeah, that's, yeah that's I think so. Yeah, that, that <laughs> math works out. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It'd be like right over like 80 and 82. I'm not saying they're like a they're not got tanked to like a 70 win team, but like. Hovering around 500, maybe a couple games slip away and they're right below. But I, just, I think they're basically I, a 500 team. I just hope that they – I would like that they're going to winning season after all this garbage because, I don't know, I mean, it means nothing. But, you know, what are you going to do? Like, it's – I mean, they're, they're a, a, you know, a middling team doing unremarkable things and they're about to change their name completely. So this is an unrecognizable season anyway. So if you're going to have a season immediately prior to a name change, I think this is the kind you want where you're yeah, just utterly I- forgettable. Yeah, I think we talked about that last time too. Like they're setting themselves up. Like you don't want to be super close, and everybody be disappointed at the end of the year. You want everybody to be kind of either neutral or optimistic for the future, but not necessarily upset about the end of this year. And I mean, at this point, no matter what happens, I don't think people are going to be mad about the rest of the year because what do you want them to do? <laughs> they're not like a they're not going to surge to a hundred wins and storm the playoffs, but that's fine. They're still going to be, I think, at times an enjoyable team. They can have some fun stuff like Quantrill and McKenzie, but they're going to be. Right around 500, and we'll get to next year with a bunch of players who were interesting. And and even like during the the broadcast of the Little League Classic, one of the few times they actually talked about Cleveland, um, Buster only brought up a good point. Like this is the one off season in I don't know how many years where the whole conversation isn't going to be about trading a star player. Like it was Corey Kluber for the longest time. Uh, obviously, last year Francisco Lindor, Lindor the year before that too. So I mean, there's no unless you genuinely think they're going to trade Jose Ramirez. But if I'm Cleveland, as long unless you're gonna do it i stomp out everything as quickly and as hard as i can when there's a rumor about it just so it's not the the topic of conversation again like you make it clear you're not going to trade him you're looking to add something and not have a 60 million dollar payroll again next year when you're the guardians for the first time and and everybody won't be so angry for six months in the offseason which will be kind of a fun change of pace i think hey it's better to have people forget about you than be mad at you, you know? <laughs> yeah there you go 
Um, so my What's meatball, your meatball? Yeah, yeah. Feed me I, these meatballs. <laughs> I was going to cheat and use Bradley Zimmer's home run. Um, that was 471 feet, but that was technically more than a week ago. Yeah, so I can't do that. I'll use the 446 one that he hit on the 16th, <laughs> which was <laughs> only a week ago. Because <laughs> uh, I'm still going to technically include the, the other one. But his last two... Um, his, his two farthest hit balls of his career both came in the last two weeks. That that huge one that was 471 feet, um, which which everybody was talking about just because of the length of it. And it was an impressive shot at progressive field straight down the middle. And there was one he hit in Minnesota too, which again, it was straight down the middle. It, it didn't look quite as impressive, I don't think, because the Twins have that big wall right behind the home run wall. So it just kind of hit it and doinked off. But he did. That one was 446 feet, 110 miles per hour. So um, those are his two furthest. Before that, you have to go back to 2017. We had a couple hard ones. Um, he had a couple long ones again in July. So he's had at times where it looks like almost a home run hitter, and then he's he struggled again, and now he's back to being Bradley Zimmer, who cannot hit and strikes out a ton. But he has these little streaks where he's really fun. Um, I, I think Miles Sean being traded over kind of sealed his fate in the future. I don't I don't know if a couple really hard hit balls have changed anything, but. It's at least giving him something if he's going to be, I don't, I don't know, DF8 or I think he has more options next year. Maybe not because he's, he's already getting kind of old. But wherever he goes next year, he has this to kind of hang his hat on. Then he can he showed he can hit a couple home runs once in a while, which is basically what we've always wanted from him. But he just strikes out two-day mutts and runs too fast in the outfield into the walls. So we got what we got now. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I mean, like you said, this whole – this was all this month too. I mean, it just it felt like there was uh, – the worm was turning, as it were, when it came to uh, Zimmer because – and we talked about it in the preseason too. We're just eternally tantalized by him because he's he's the last man standing of that triumvirate of uh, of first round outfielders that they picked. And um, I was talking about this with my dad, and it's it's, it's funny how of the three they drafted, um, the one with the lowest ceiling is putting together the the best major league career. Which is not to say Tyler Naquin is having a great career. He's a below average hitter for his career continues to be. And then, I mean, uh, just got player of the week, so it looks bad. But I don't think he's well, going to be that forever. Or yeah, exactly. Long. I mean, listen, he he ebbs and flows too. You know, I mean, the the, the numbers bear it out. You know what I mean? Like sample size. Can, if if I wanted to do that, then then and I'm, I'm going to look at just August eighth to August eleventh for Bradley Zimmer and say, well, this guy hits three oh eight, three fifty seven, eight forty six. I mean, this is basically Barry Bonds right here. So, uh, but like I said, it's it's just interesting that he's the one because um, what's his name over in New York now? Um, Clint Fraser, his career might be over. And like you said, they, they might DFA uh, Zimmer, both of which had much better physical skills than uh, Naquin. But Naquin's the one who I think probably had the highest ceiling as well, the highest floor, lowest ceiling of the three of them. It's just, I mean, it's it's not a fun player to watch when that's the one that realizes because it it's just kind of boring and mediocre. But you know what? He, he's probably going to roll up like a 10-year career and get that sweet thing that gives him access to any ballpark or that gold card and oh, collect a pension and, and, yeah. Yeah, and just, and just you know, didn't get a good job coaching coaching college baseball at Texas A&M or something like that and just have a good I didn't realize home. how much Naquin played this year. Like, his, this is the most played appearance he's had ever, and it's through 112 games, yeah. Because I was looking at it, he already has, he has a career-high home run, but he's also played a ton of games, so it's not like his slugging percentage is. It's better than it's ever been, other than his rookie gear when – he was. He should have been rookie of the year, but um, yeah, it's just one of the best years he's had in a, in a very small ballpark, obviously in in Cincinnati. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not heartbroken about him being gone. But I, I wish he was better. I wish Bradley Zimmer was better. But he also got Miles Straw, and he's he's a little better. So, um, what's your other meatball, Merritt? Oh, this is just a quick uh, observation more than anything else. Um, we all we all love Ahmed Rosario here. He had a home run on Sunday night. 
Uh, if you'll remember, he by the end of April, he was hitting 179 with a 555 OPS. Did you know that since that time, including a big hit hole he fell into, and I believe it was June, he's been a 309, 344, 444 hitter? Like, so if you take out that first month, he's effectively excellent. Uh, that's averaging for 162 games. That's a 36 doubles, 11 triples, and 11 home runs in that stretch, which I think is a bit... That, that's my kind of player right there, quite honestly. That's just, that's just ball just sprayed everywhere, just run, running his ass off. Um, he'll always be a player who's affected by batting average on balls in play. Just, I mean, his, his makeup, the way he approaches, the way he hits the ball, all that kind of stuff is just going to have its own ebbs and flows because he's a speed guy. But um, I'm going to look at 90 games and nearly 400 plate appearances as more proof positive of who he is. It's a 376 BABIP over that stretch, but like he's always going to have a high batting average on balls in play, and I think it's going to be better than the uh, 192 we posted in the month of April. So, uh, the more I see him play, I guess it's just the. I'm not saying I'm I'm I'd prefer him over Francisco Lindor, who's having a dreadful season. <laughs> what you say just, that? What kind of a person would actually say that repeatedly on Twitter every time Ahmed Rosario gets a hit and is slightly better and. Who, who's a national broadcast guy for the Indians? Who would say that? I don't know who would do that. Oh, I don't know. I'm not just if somebody did that. Could, could be anyone. <laughs> um, but, but again, Rosario is, and, and you know, I, I think Jimenez is the actual keystone of that trade. But um, Rosario is more and more worming his way into my heart, and I'm just like, well, maybe he isn't dreadful, and maybe I could deal with this as a player who is not. Again, something we've talked about several times now. Uh, they don't need great players. Uh, they will need great players. We all, we, I'd love for them to have a, that, that linebacker lineup that the Yankees rolled out last week with Voight and uh, Rizzo and uh, uh, Gallo Judge and, and Stanton yeah. and Gallo. Like, good Lord, what is this? <laughs> uh, I would love it very much for that to happen. Just hit bombs for forever. There's a lot of big, beefy boys out there. That's just that's some, that's some that's some thickness right there. Gee whiz. Uh, but, that's going to be the play- intro clip now. <laughs> <laughs> You better keep the those big beefy boys in there. Um, but you know, again, Rosario is the kind of guy who I don't want again batting second, uh, ideally, honestly. <laughs> but if he was batting sixth or seventh or eighth or something like that, like that's awesome. That that's yeah. Uh, he's he's just a stopgap either way. Like he's not the future. I I don't even know if Jimenez is. But I mean, Gabriel Arias, Tyra Freeman, all these guys coming up. Like I think he's going to be bumped out at some point, and that's perfectly fine. Like he's a really good stopgap, I think. And he's if he gets bu- bumped to like a utility guy, that's also good. He's perfectly fine there. He's a better Mike Freeman. Um, and he, and even ignoring that, maybe I mean he's showing that he is a valuable hitter. And if nothing else, he's now still he's twenty five, right? Like they could still trade him. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want them to necessarily because, like you said, him as your off the bench guy. Like I mean, I don't know. Maybe like so many other players, he does need to play. It was 113 games at this point. Like maybe he does need that many to actually show that value. Um, the last time he was a league average hitter, he played 157 games, 65, 655 plate appearances. So, um, And he put up, what, 30 doubles, 7 triples, 15 home runs, and 20 steals, which is basically what his per, per 162 is this year. So, And he's putting up that same exact batting line that he put up in 2019 as well. So if that's who he is and he just can grow from there, I, I'd almost, I'm even leaning towards – I mean, keep him. Obviously, there's all that potential talent in the minors, but who knows? Finding him a spot on the team somewhere, whether it is shoehorning him in the outfield or whatever, trying to find him 500 plate appearances if the other guys don't pan out. I'm 
less and less inclined to hate that idea. I mean, if they don't pan out, though, that's if none of those guys are anything, where this this organization's in trouble. But I like the that idea is, of we've been like flipping that for a long time. By the way, well, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, true. About lots of <laughs> if these outfielders don't pan out, this Tyler Naquin, Bradley Zimmer, and Clint Frazier don't pan out, this team is screwed. But I I like the idea, like if they if he works himself into like he's he's a two and a half four player just about now. If he does that for like the next two years and they can flip him based on that, that's that's a pretty good. I don't think they're going to sign him long term. I'm not going to be clamoring unless he turns into Francisco Lindor. But if they can flip that um, based on that performance, then that's not a bad turnaround for them. Um, whatever they'll get back, especially when they're not going to have a position for him, assuming like George Valera is in center field and Tyler Freeman is at shortstop and Gabriel Rice is at second, all this stuff. So, um, I mean, Andres Jimenez, if he pans out in anything, then he'll have him too. But, um, yeah, I think Rosario is the one that is, is going to be flipped sooner or later. He's the stopgap for now. Um, either Jimenez is the future or nothing. Because <laughs> either he's going to prove his value and stick around in Cleveland, or, I mean, you can't trade him if he doesn't do anything. But he's still he's even younger than Rosario. He's like, what, 22, 23? So yeah, something like that, yeah. They've got lots of time to figure it out with him, too. That's why I like Rosario, too. You know, like you said, you can move him for something. I mean, you know what you could trade him for is an all-star caliber shortstop. What do you think of that idea? Is there one in like New York who just signed there for a long time? No, I don't want any New York players. They're all sullied and, you know, they're going to complain about the quality of bagels in Cleveland because the water is different. Although, you know, it's still good Great Lakes water. So I don't know what they're complaining about. Gee, <laughs> jerks. I don't know who tra- I, I, I would hope they don't have to trade for a. I mean, it's just repeating the same thing I said like 10 minutes ago, but I hope they don't have to trade for a shortstop because they have a thousand. Guys, of them. I know. One of these guys has to do it. Yeah, they got to move of, the rest or trade. Yeah. So. They, they tried three outfielders, none of them hit. So. One of these 15 shortstops <laughs> has to work. I mean, I am both basing all of my future emotional joy on George Valera panning out at this point. I've put everything into the stock that he's going to be a superstar because, I mean, he just got promoted to double A. So what, all the stuff he's doing down there, the bat flips, uh, multi-hit, multi-home run games. I mean, like my future as the future joy of my life depends on George Valera painting out. And if he doesn't, I don't know what's going to happen there with baseball, but. I'm going to get a huge whiteboard here in my office. I'm just going to write all the names of all the shortstop uh, <laughs> prospects they have. I just feel like cross them out and go, damn, damn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, looking towards the future, um, I think we've seen basically what this, you know, the second half of, of the season has basically turned into just looking ahead at the future. Um, and what we've seen a lot of is Cal Quantrill, Tristan McKenzie. Saw him over the weekend. Obviously, I was wrong about Quantrill. He didn't do good about against Shohei Otani, but he was really good um, in the the Little League Classic. Over the, since the All Star break, forty eight inning, inning pitched, forty six strikeouts, sixteen walks, eight earned runs. Um, it's a one and a half ERA, three point eight two xFIP. So, I mean, xFIP isn't going to like him anyway because he's a weak ball. He's not going to rack up a bunch of strikeouts, but yeah. Um, one of the things I've noticed about him a lot is he's using a four seamer more since becoming a starter, which that kind of um you you've you've talked about i hate the sinker it doesn't quite have a place in the game and I, i've liked his but i mean you can't lie with how he's used like in may when he was mostly reliever as 11 percent june it dipped down to 9.4 and then july 24 and a half august 23 percent. so he's jacking up his um four seamer usage which seems to um i mean it's helped him he plays that up in the zone and, and works off everything else that he has um his curveball usage has gone up as well it's improved month after month 40 percent swing and miss in august um, which is a huge spike compared to the previous months when he's also been better so he's more than just a sinker slider guy which i think is a huge thing um that's that's like what aaron savali did he stopped being a sinker slider guy worked in these other pitches um so our um Quantrill hasn't done the the shorter arm circle or anything like savali has but he's improved the same kind of way and then we saw tristan mckenzie who's who's a young pitcher and um he's working his own stuff he's got a fastball curveball 
um, slider. So he's his this whole thing. I mean, at this point is control. Like we saw, him, he striked out a bunch of batters in Detroit when he was on. Um, I still want to see him do it against a couple of better lineups, but he's he's pitched well against who you put in front of him, which is is more than you can ask. So, I mean, next year we're almost sort of looking at Beaver Savali, please at Quantrill McKenzie. I mean, it seems almost locked in at this point. And weirdly enough, the pitcher I'm most concerned about is Zach Plezak out of those five. <laughs> like, I don't even know if I have him three. I just kind of have him by default because he was there coming in. But I mean, I put Quantrill ahead of him for sure. Maybe McKenzie if he keeps pitching well down the stretch. And then I mean, Plezak, he's looked like nothing this year, but. I mean, we can start with the happy stuff between Quantrill and McKenzie, but what have you seen in those guys as, as far as looking at them this year and, and what we could see going into 2022 as as the Guardians officially? Well, you know, and you sent me that article from uh, Baseball Prospectus within those uh, secret CIA documents you had stolen. Um, Acquired. That's right. That's right, the government. Anyway, uh, but I, I know they mentioned something kind of in passing in that that I've also been noticing from Quantrill, too. And it's something I've noticed from Savali, and it's something I've noticed from uh, Bieber. And uh, it's, I I mean, and every team, I'm assuming, is doing this. But, like, with the advent of him throwing more fastballs, being a starter, he needs, you know, more, more deception because none of these guys really have overly elite velocity. Uh, Quantrill does have, like, the hardest fastball of any of these guys, and it's only, what, 95, which is good. It's not, like, it's, what, 83rd percentile in, in – uh, that's exit velocity. I'm sorry, 70th percentile in fastball velocity. So not like great, but you know, not bad. C's get degrees, as they say, but he's able to hide it, right? And I, and I think that's what a lot of these guys are able to do because they have good enough secondary stuff. And it's the control, I think, that's really kind of surprised me. And the way they attack hitters and are able to not really walk a lot of people. Um, I mean, they're all b- below average or above average, but I don't want to look at it. They're better than average at walking people. Uh, Quantrill's probably the worst with 7.9% is his walk rate. But all these guys are just kind of, well, actually, I mean, McKenzie's walking. I mean, yeah, McKenzie's the worst, but that's, that's but kind of his last but, thing but that's, fix is, But yeah. that, exactly. But that, that, that's, if anything's an outlier for either of these guys, that's the biggest outlier for him because he's never walked that many people. Last year he walked 7.1. You look in the minors, he was always a, a big control guy, a pound his own kind of a guy. And, um, I mean, I th- I, th- I think as the, the last five six seven years have worn on, we're all getting used to the 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 Cleveland pitcher when it comes to starters, and it's these guys. Like it's these guys over and over and over, which where they can they have three maybe four pitches that they just kind of live within, and they, they throw them all within one tunnel. And like you look at their you know their spin um, their spin profiles, and they, all, they the, the pitches all have the exact same spin profile or mirror each other in, in uh, McKenzie's curveball fastball uh, case. I like it. It's all coming together. Um, I think, and I, I know I've mentioned this several times already this year, but it's just this has been alternately a refreshing and frustrating season because I just you forget what it takes for a young pitcher to develop. But watching Quantrill, especially over the last, just, I mean, you look at his numbers in in August. He's been uh, what is he's got a one forty five ERA, right? Like he's just been absolutely shut down this entire month. And even you you go back to July, you know, also. Six innings, four hits, one earned run. Six innings, four hits, one one earned run. Five innings, four hits, one earned run. Like he's getting better and better and better, and he's just you're seeing him really kind of fold into what the pitcher that we're going to see next year is because that's where you see like that mid mid July, early August is where you start to see that growth of really throwing that fastball as his secondary or tertiary pitch. I think he was at twenty five percent on his four seam, which is the highest point in July. He's down at twenty three point one percent, but he's also at his career lowest sinker. He was at twenty eight point nine here in August. So uh, I like it a lot. It's um, in, encouraging because 
I mean, we still have two question marks coming back here with Bieber and uh, Savali. They missed most of the season, and I mean, I mean, Bieber had like arm trouble, so that's kind of at least a little bit worrying. So, yeah, his could have been related up. to like grip, though. I think, right? Because he, yeah, was, I mean, it, it could have been any number of things. Coincidentally, too, that it, it just happened been, at the time, but yeah, it could have been last year and him kind of approaching this year with the same mentality. Who knows? I don't know. It, it could have been any any number of things, but. Yeah, and then did um, the mirroring you mentioned with McKenzie and his, his fastball and curveball. That's one of the things that Michael Agito mentioned in his um, baseball prospectus article is that Bieber does with with the way McKenzie's fastball is, it has a lot of rides. So usually you want that up in the zone because it looks like it rises. Even though I mean, obviously it doesn't, but um, with just the way it spins and it's spinning, it looks like it's rising. So you usually put that up in the zone um, to get batters to chase it. But McKenzie's the way it spins, it mirrors his curveball like um, Shane Bieber's does. And what Bieber does, he plays his fastball down in the zone more, and then. Um, that, that tricks batters more to think it's either fastball or curveball. It's harder to tell. You can either watch a curveball or you swing through um, a fastball. So that's the kind of thing that Tristan McKenzie could be using to go down in the zone. I don't know. I mean, I don't like surfing on meatballs on the top of the plate, but I feel like McKenzie's issue has always been either getting the top edge of the zone or the bottom edge. I guess I'd rather get him get hurt in the bottom than than surfing on meatballs at the top, but it always seems like he has problems hitting the ball zone, hitting the ball down. So I wonder if it's just a thing with his control is just better when he keep it up in the zone. But if he can figure it out, sure. I, I think that's a decent idea. Anything you can do to be more like Shane Bieber, I think is what you want to go for. And if he can do that, then I'm all for it. Well, that's what's so surprising with Bieber in particular as well. And that, that article mentioned it, but he's so fastball heavy. I mean, he's throwing him 63% of the time this month, right? Like that's a lot of fastballs. I mean, he's getting a ton of strikeouts. He had what 10 or 11 against the angels the other night. He had another 11 against Detroit in his previous start for that. Uh, and he's only throwing, you know, uh, he's not throwing. He's throwing three pitches. He's a three pitch pitcher. Like he th- he saw, last time he threw a changeup was in June, but he's throwing curveballs and uh, sliders in equal m- number at like eighteen percent. And it's just, I don't want to force it. Th- I wouldn't want to force a thing just for doing it. But like, like you said, like his fastball is so darn straight. It's got some ride to it, but like it doesn't. Like it's just, it's very straight. <laughs> and it's, it's not like, like I said before, it's not like elite velocity. It's what uh 92 on average so which that's basically a below average slightly below average that's 30 30th percentile in fastball velocity yeah there it is so uh not great at all that does not get degrees that is a fail <laughs> and i mean that's even after his first couple of starts when he was remember he's like hyped up and he was hitting i think 97 at one point which yeah, is crazy but then exactly he was it's um, dropped and maybe he can make it work down there i don't know but no it's it's just i guess it's just like like you said i i want him to be more of a complete pitcher um and this is just this just makes me nervous i don't know just just seeing that many fastballs and and being so easy to hit it sounds like it's a pretty easy fix though i guess um i mean some of the fastball that like he throws throwing that many pitches in the zone to to mitigate walks is a little you know disheartening like well like i said with the 12 and a half percent walk rate but um again like i said before this is this is the, the growing pains of young pitcher he's barely into his first full, into his second full season if at all so i think you can still call him a rookie if you really wanted to yeah and he even mentioned this year um which i think was really what is the word there was it showed a lot of candor to, to mention it that the crowds kind of got to him like the fact that there was just a crowd because i mean last year um he was pitching in front of nobody and then this year there were um sizable crowds and i thought it was kind of cool that after his detroit start he specifically mentioned how electric the crowd was i don't know if that was a specific call out to the fact that like Hey, I've gotten used to it. Let, let's go, kind of thing. Um, but he, he mentioned early on that it was just kind of startling having all the fans there compared to debuting in 2020 when there was nobody. Which I think is completely understandable. If you're a rookie at that point, he was 23, and now he's 24. Um, I think that's just part of it. He's just adjusted to 
to pitching in front of audiences and all these people staring right at you and, and cheering and booing with your every move. So I think it's another big thing he's gotten over. And if he can make it work with um, wherever he wants to put his fastball, wherever he can land it. But uh, there's just a lot of exciting things about McKenzie in general. And, no, uh, it's you think about it too. You know, even the the worst attended game he's pitched in Cleveland, uh, it's bigger than any attendance he's ever he's been in front of ever. I'd probably say because he came out of the high school, didn't he? And, uh, I think so. Yeah, 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 Oklahoma, yeah. So yeah, yeah, so I mean, there are not twenty thousand seat uh, stadiums. I mean, maybe in Florida, Jesus. Um, but he's never he never pitched again in front of a crowd like that. And then like I remember in the minors too, he was in the lower levels and then missed a bunch of seasons and then. Uh, I think he pitched a little bit in AAA and came up. So he didn't pitch a bunch in a bunch of no, and like AA and AAA sit, games. So. Yeah, those teams only see 10,000, 15,000 when they sell out. And the, the magic of minor league baseball is it never sells out. You can get a ticket anytime you want. But, uh, yeah, see, seeing it, I mean, it's amazing that he, get, he gets a depth on his curve because it spins so little. But when I, I'm not going to sit here and complain. It's just he's figuring out what works, and it takes some time. He still only has, what, 100 and – what is his inning count at this point? I really hate baseball savant sometimes. Let me tell 124 over two major league seasons. So not even like that's the thing. We look at these guys and we're like, they've been pitching here forever now. Ugh. But like him and Quantrill both are barely hundred and yeah, Quantrill's been in Cleveland for 124 innings and he has combined 244 as a major leaguer. Like him being where he is as far as his growth compared to McKenzie, especially after coming over to a new system that um is probably better producing pitchers based on the pitchers that the Padres have produced over the last several years. Uh, it's 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 been much less time than like the the calendar time has been longer than the actual baseball time. So seeing that out of Cal Quantrill or any of these guys uh, gives me a lot of hope for what McKenzie will eventually turn into. Uh, and speaking of Tristan McKenzie, Miles Straw, Barrett. Um, yep, same <laughs> nothing person, else, but pretty much there it <laughs> basically is. the same. Uh, flip him over. One's a pitcher, one's a batter. You're good to go. But yeah, Miles Straw. Um, I, I I wanted to squeeze him in somewhere because I mean, uh, we've talked about like Kyle, or, um, Nick Madrigal's fun in Chicago, or I guess wherever the hell he is. He's still in Chicago right now. He's on the. Is Cubs. he still in Chicago? Didn't they trade him to the? Yeah, the Cubs, right? Yeah. yeah so, is he on I mean, the Cubs? He went from Chicago yeah. to Chicago. Maybe I don't know. He's somewhere. The worst he... Chicago, North Side. <laughs> Boo. When he comes back, he'll he'll be fun. Um, which I mean, Miles Straw is in that same kind of thing. He, he doesn't strike out. He doesn't chase. Um, he doesn't do much else either. Unfortunately, sometimes. But um, with, with Cleveland, he's been he's been great so far. Um, Twenty two games, slashing three fifteen, three eighty four, four forty nine. He's on a four game hitting streak right now. Um, what did I write down there? I don't know. But he had four doubles over that streak. So I think he's pretty much what we thought, but like the higher end of it, he hasn't like exceeded, I guess maybe he's exceeded a little bit, but he hasn't been like a superstar kind of thing, but he's kind of in the the range of what we thought. He's at the way higher end, 130 WRC plus in this band, which is great. Um, hasn't struck out, hit a single home run, which is expected. He's played really great defense. Um, he had that diving play against the Twins, which is nice. He also doesn't kill himself out there like Bradley Zimmer does. So, I mean... That, that's kind of a win, I think, for for the trade. I mean, you can't know immediately, but they traded Phil Maton for him. And as much as I love him, he's also just a reliever who's kind of uh, a fringy toolsy guy. We're kind of waiting for him to break out, but he never did. So um, now they got Straw in return, and, and I'm loving having just some kind of consistent center fielder out there um, who you know is going to go out there and doesn't have to be platooned. He's going to play defense. He's not going to get injured. He's going to almost never strike out. Um, I mean, he strikes out a lot, but he doesn't swing and miss a whole lot, so he's not going to have – a bunch of awful at bats. Um, he's just a really weird, unique player, and and I'm glad he's here and uh, just in Cleveland and, and hitting as well as he is for this streak. I just don't know how long he can do it, but for now, it's yeah. fun at least. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, he's definitely on a hot streak. Um, I'm not going to stare at his. I, I don't. I can't. Uh, 397 bad of him go. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm going to ignore everything that is back on my story, mate. That's how. No, that's how we, we, we both know how to write. We both know how to use stats. Use them as as benefits your narrative. Um, but again, speed guy. So I don't think that. I think he'll have an elevated uh, batting average on balls in play. I don't think it'll be 397. I'd love it. That'd be cool. But even in in Houston this year, it was 324, and he was uh, hitting like 262. Yeah, he got 86 OPS plus. Uh, that's a for for all my fans out there. That's a 92 RBAT plus. <laughs> I knew that. Uh, but but I mean, like even if he does that, that's fine. I think for me, if he plays defense as well as he can and steals like 20, 30 bases a season, sure, I'm fine with that. Compared to what positive influence, like again, that's what like you know we're at 22 games as you know, in Cleveland. He's been worth basically one win. Um, Obviously, a lot of that is powered by uh, a hot streak. Uh, he's not going to be this sort of hitter. I'd love it for that to be true. But, like, again, the, the kind of player that they need to piece together to be a, a contending team, I guess. If they can't find the stars, like, and one, again, one would hope that some of these guys that they have are good. But even over this year, he, for, the, for the full season, he's, a, he's played – 414 at bats. He's a two and a half uh, wins above replacement by baseball reference. 95 OPS plus. Uh, again, a valuable player that adds uh, the chance to win because of his excellent defense. Because again, he's like you said before, the first center fielder they've had. That's an actual legit like pedigreed center fielder since Bourne, maybe. And Bourne was falling apart by the time he got. Like, I mean, I was going to go Kenny Lauer. I mean, you've got to get to some really good players who are probably too good because like Grady Sizemore and Kenny Lofton because yeah I mean Coco but like Crisp? yeah Maybe but I mean I guess but that was like like for the early Coco Chris maybe but like, yeah. like that, that I guess is what I'm saying like it's like that that's who we're talking about here yeah straw is if anything exactly what Michael Bourne was brought to Should've Cleveland been, yeah. to be <laughs> like again not a loud bat but a guy who can help you by getting on base a little bit Again, a career three forty two on base percent. It's not not grand, but slightly above average. So he can get on base and be down there at the bottom of the lineup and um, give a chance to the guy at the top of the lineup to score some runs and then take some runs off the board and, and yeah, so like you said, he's been making some some dope plays against the twins. He's been making dope plays since he came to Cleveland. And uh, he was not gonna get a lot of run in um, in Houston, Houston, I don't think, yeah. because who was even their center fielder? Probably someone much better. Well, it was Miles Straw. I mean, it was George Springer, but then Straw was their starter. So, I mean, they traded. That's right. Yeah, I forgot they, they got rid of George Springer. That's right. It's the summer of George up there in, uh, up in uh, Toronto. But he is basically just, what if Michael Bourne was good? And then you have Miles. That's a really I mean, good comparison, what, I think. What if Michael Bourne wasn't broken immediately? <laughs> basically, is what we're looking at here. And, like, you know, I liked, like the idea of Michael Bourne. I think we can both agree on that. It was a fun, neat move by the team. Didn't work out. And what are you going to do? Uh, if Straw could figure out a way to barrel up a ball every now and again, I think his barrel rate's like the worst in baseball. <laughs> his hard hit rate is the absolute worst. He One. barrels a tiny bit, but <laughs> he doesn't hit it hard. Which I think it's just amazing. It's just fascinating because we talked about it too last time that it he has all these tools. Like he doesn't whiff, he doesn't chase, but he still strikes out twenty percent of the time. <laughs> he just watches. He has the weirdest batting profile I've ever seen because he watches pitches over like one certain spot of the plate and he'll swing and miss over the heart of the plate, but that's it nowhere else. And he also won't chase. He's just the weirdest batter in the world. And I think it's amazing. It's interesting. One of the is, is um, uh, most like hitters is 2019's uh, the 2019 version of Ender Inciarte. And as a whole player, I would almost say that because at his best, Inciarte was a great center fielder, like 
defensively one of the best in the game, and he just couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag. Uh, he had like one season with a league average uh, weight on base average, but like he never struck out. He never hit the ball hard, and he walked at a, at a league average clip. So um, added value wherever he went is the thing. Like he was always a useful player for teams to have, and I think that's just what Straw represents. And whether that's uh, an answer for center field, as you said, I mean, in, in the dream scenario, he does not play center field. Someone who uh, can actually hit does that, or if he – learns how to tweak his approach very slightly. And that stupid article that I read in The Athletic about how they're they're researching every player's individual strengths and weaknesses and making sure they can be the best person of them. Maybe they can learn how to get it, turn him into a, you know, a poor man's Michael Brantley or something. He can be a 280 hitter. Because if that's the case, then if you can hit 280, 340, 400, I mean, that's Michael Brantley before he got his, his, grown, his grown man strength. So, uh, yeah, I'll take that all day. I, I like Straw. It was a great pickup. Um, a good reminder for what they traded. As much as we loved, um, tomato, tomato man, it's like yeah, tomato yeah. man. It's, it's yeah. sad that he's gone just because of how tantalizing his tantalizing his skill was. But anytime you can get a starting center fielder for a reliever, I mean, you do that every day. Yeah, I don't care who it is. Yeah. What? 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 Really? You want to do that? All right. I mean, <laughs> are you calling the right number right now? Does is this mean? a joke? Are you tricking me with your jokes? <laughs> Am I actually in MLB 2K21? Is, the... is, is, is this a punk? Are you punking me, <laughs> Ashton? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the last thing I wanted to finish with is I think something I we, we've talked about cards before. We both collect them at least to some extent, or did at some point. Um, I only collect of, um, pool cards. Well, they billiards what? actually. What? Is that a thing? Yeah, yeah. I got I got, like, I got Idaho Joe right here. I got I got <laughs> I, I got Saint Louis. Come on, Mary, name some more pool here. players. Come on, you're in this bit now. Go down. What? Oh, well, there's uh, there's <laughs> Grand Forks George. <laughs> There's Green uh, Johnny. McGee. There's Johnny Two Toes because he uh, actually uh, he, when he plays he uses his two toes to uh, to aim the the uh, there cue there as opposed to his hand. Uh, I don't quite know talented. If, if Fanatics is going to take over the pool card market, but um, they did apparently agree in some kind of shady midnight deal with the MLB um, to agree to Fanatics to start dealing cards in 2026. Um, the important thing also here is that they got the Players Association, so they've locked everybody out, like Panini and Donruss right now. They have a deal with the PA so they can do cards. They just can't do logos on them. But um, the way I understand it, like this means that nobody else can do anything. Fanatics owns, because they got deals with everybody. They're exclusive deals. Um, I think technically the MLB one doesn't start till 2026, but the player association one starts like next year. So I don't know how that works. If tops can just print logos without players, but hell yeah, um, I got another. That could be something kind of weird. <laughs> Detroit card, yes, <laughs> Detroit logo. Let's throw yeah. in the pile. <laughs> oh, you can collect the, the old Tigers logo, that cracked out looking one. That'll be fun. Um, yeah, I guess. I guess apparently tops didn't realize this was coming. This whole thing seems so weird to me. Um, I had a really what I thought was a brilliant original idea that that fanatics was their plan was to. Um, swoop in and take this this exclusive deal. They got this. I think they got ML or NBA, NFL. They got like everybody where they're doing cards now. Um, right before Tops is about to go public, my big big brain idea was that they're doing this and they're going to buy Tops and nothing will really change, but they're going to make a bunch more money. And then that's what everybody thinks too. So it's not an original idea. I thought I had, but <laughs> I thought I had it. Um, but Ryan, I think it's Ryan Fegan wrote on Yahoo Sports about how it could work and why why it seems like a possibility. But um, because Tops is about to go public because right now with the pandemic and everybody buying cards and that shit's just going absolutely wild right now. So they're about to go public and um, do an IPO. But now they're not doing that. They scrapped that all when this was done. Um, 
which again, that kind of shows just how out of nowhere this deal came because right up until this happened, they, they, they were going ahead of plans to go public, um, be a publicly traded company, but now they didn't. And now I, I would assume they're worth virtually nothing. So I, I don't see why if, if fanatics doesn't buy them and let them make, keep making the tards, uh, do they just dissolve? They have this really shitty, like magic, the gathering ripoff they make, but that's pretty much it at this point. <laughs> I mean, I would assume they have to, fin out to finish out their contract with whoever they have if they don't just dissolve or, or are sold. But um, this is just kind of a fascinating, weird thing um, that, that Fanatics is doing. I think it's if they don't buy tops, I think it kind of sucks because Fanatics is garbage. Whenever I'm looking for team stuff, I specifically avoid them because I've gotten shirts from them. They like the, you know, they do own Majestic too. They own everything, Merritt. They like, own like every. Fanatics does. Yeah, they own every kind of like apparel thing you can think Who of. Who are these people? I've never like. I've seen fanatics like in passing, but I'm like, what's happening? Here? Yeah, I see a million commercials on MLB TV, but that's about it. But yeah, they have like these shirts. They're, I guess they're technically the newer. I don't know if that's just marketing that they're the newer, lighter kind, but they're just shitty and they shrink and they're they're garbage. But so I avoid them for that, and and now they're gonna be making cards. Um, and I don't know. I, I wouldn't mind a new direction for baseball cards. I think right now they're doing really well because they just are, but eventually it's gonna fade again. Um, and maybe they do something else where we're not driven entirely by just having a million inserts to drive all the value of cards. I'd like to see, um, again, in Ryan's article on Yahoo, he wrote about um, just just whoever has controls cards next, always make sure you have some kind of cheap set that doesn't have to be fancy inserts. Just have a set that kids can buy and open and just get them into the sport. Because like I've, I've wanted to buy, my cards just like opening, my kids like, not my cards like opening kids. My kids like opening cards and there's just nothing there for them. So I mean, if Fanatics takes over and they just pump out a bunch of cheap cards and, and also have like the back end stuff where it's more expensive than for collectors, I'm fine with that. Like whatever happens going forward, I just want that. But I just learned something just now, right as you were saying this. I didn't know that there was more than one type of quality of baseball card. Well, I mean, <laughs> there there's there's a ton of different levels for tops. Like they have. I didn't know that. I had oh, yeah. no. I just yeah. thought they were baseball cards. I just figured you went, you bought baseball cards, and sometimes they were shiny, like. That's the kind only of a baseball cards I own are like that, that are that it's a pack of that, that I got a last time I got a pin was a box of cards from the eighties and I think they were um, <laughs> that's what I was thinking of when you talked about it before yeah because you got a bunch of them just from somebody right and yeah I got seven hundred of them or something they're all packed. <laughs> yeah back then the the value of cards was driven by finding a rookie but now it's you get like the cards that are numbered and there's the autograph ones but also there's different kinds of packs like you get. Um, there's like Tops Fire, which is kind of like a mid-range, but that's one of my favorites because it's cool art and stuff. But I mean, it goes from just basic packs or stuff called Opening Day, which is just absolute garbage. That's the kind of thing they should mass produce just to have packs out there for kids to get. Yeah, that's one um, I, I want then. Yeah, yeah. Put in my <laughs> spokes and yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then they have like the stuff that's like not a, like several thousand dollars for a box to get one card because there's a chance you might get a one of one autograph in there kind of thing. Uh, it's essentially gambling with cards and people. Oh, all right, then I'm back in. All right. I've decided to stop uh, <laughs> doing speculation on, on, on the stock park. I'm going to get into sports gambling. So it's a perfect maybe, time to merit. Everybody knows you buy high and sell low. That's how it works. Maybe I'll this. just do this. No, you know, I mean, I'll be honest at the other day, like who gives a crap who makes the cards tops obviously is this name that like just the way it feels like fanatics cards. I don't like, well, that. like even beyond it just feels bizarrely like craft crafty and underhanded by, Major League Baseball to agree to this deal when they knew that Topps was doing this this IPO, like baseball being, I think, and I could be wrong on this, but being the most like run by um, shithead financiers of any. Uh, and I've talked about this several times, but it just feels like another like like, a, like another shithead financier maneuver, right? Of like, 
like figuring out a way where they can scoop up this valuable um, uh, legacy property for pennies on the dollar and then use that name, whether to, you know, whether to do like a, like a vampire capitalism uh, sort of a thing where they like to suck all the value out of it. Like, you know, like the Glazers who own the, who own Manchester United have done to Manchester United by extracting a billion dollars out of that team after buying it on credit. Like, you know, just doing things, and it's happened probably all, I, you know, all over um, America as well. I, I'm assuming they've also done, the Glazers, I mean, have done that as well to the uh, the Buccaneers, but who knows. Uh, it just feels like a deal like that just because of how weird and, like, like in the middle of the night it felt like. But, yeah, they don't really care who makes the cards. I don't buy them a lot. I buy them sometimes because I'm bored. I'm on a, like, a, or, like I, I see them, I'm on, like, a road trip, and I'm going to bug my wife and go, look, Glen Allen Hill. <laughs> <laughs> You know. Meanwhile, she's debating whether she wants to drive into the ditch at this very moment. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you know, I mean, the fun of baseball cards. I don't know. I understand why people want like uh, the, the, you know these crazy cards that are worth a million dollars. But I like getting which cards that's what's can... driven the current boom of it is is like people opening them and then selling the the slots to to have, it's again it's gambling. You you put a bunch of money in and maybe you get a good card from somebody opening them through like an eBay listing. No, no, I get it, but I just—I I guess my life of it is driven more by like a David Roth esque remembering some guys situation, you know, where I can just be like, look, Kenny Lofton reached on the Pirates. Whoa, crazy! <laughs> and then I, I lose the card. Whoa, Jeff Supon. Whoa, <laughs> oh, man. you know, just getting to do fun crap like that. Aramis um, Ramirez, you know, whatever. Uh, now, my other big brain idea, since people. The other one obviously wasn't very uh, unique of a take. Is I think, even if not explicitly, like I think may- maybe Major League Baseball and other organizations are more more okay with this because of how much um, tops drop the ball in NFTs, which I think are are generally. God, a damn fact, it! But... I'm leaving. I can't talk about <laughs> NFTs. I think they're stupid, but I think that uh, like they saw this NBA Top Shot stuff where where tops had they had their own. I forget what they called it, but it was basically a blockchain collectible thing. And nobody did it, and it was marketed shittily. It just seemed cheap. Like they have tops bun, it was just kind of shoved in there. And and I think like that they dropped the ball on that entirely. They could have made a ton of money if they did that right. So I don't know if that was kind of like they're okay with it because of how much they fucked that up. But there's clearly something there where they were okay with essentially backstabbing tops. That's what they did with the shady midnight DL, and and there they are now. So I didn't. So the. Just to sidebar, that whole top shot thing that happened and then and then ended. Oh, it's like, done now. Yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> like it all happened. I was like, what the hell was that? I was just so confused by the entire thing. We're we're gonna get emails now about how it's totally still on. Everybody loves Top Shot. Everybody's doing it. Maybe, so. man. I just remember being on Twitter going, "Where the hell NBA Top Shot is?" Oh well, anyway, it was like <laughs> it was several like a, thousand for a clip of LeBron James. Yeah, I was like, "What was. the hell?" And then I watched the clip. I go, "That's a pretty sick clip." I'll just go watch highlights on YouTube now. <laughs> Now, maybe the other problem with that is in baseball, you can't quite do that because even like a pass in the NBA, you can sell that for a couple of bucks. But who wants to watch a, a ball two on Bradley Zimmer in the middle of August and like buy that for 20 bucks? Oh, no. Now I do want these things. Oh, no. <laughs> the most weird random ones you can. Because <laughs> there's like there's that okay. Twitter kind that just posts like random NBA plays. Like if only I could get that for baseball. I'd just be like, <laughs> yeah, just ball two. You know? Yeah, cool, great. All right, <laughs> that cool. was fun. Glad we were here. We'll see you on. next week. I wish I knew how to code. I, got, I would totally set up that exact Twitter account. Oh, you could too. Doing uh, 
what's the the video service that MLB has? I'm sure. You can yeah, exactly. They, they have their video vault or whatever. I'm, I'm sure there's some sort of API I could plug into there and just grab a random one over and over. Um, I hate how like LeBron and Warriors heavy the NBA one is. I'd, I'd like to get one that like, really focused on the Mariners, just only Mariners. <laughs> Why did you do this? Not even Why? Kyle Seeger, like the the other Mariners who nobody. Yeah, exactly. Of. Yeah, the, the players who, who I could not name. I was, not name. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get one there for me, man. <laughs> uh, Logan I mean, Gilbert. Just stare off into space and think, and definitely not click several click, times. Click. <laughs> um, I believe someone like Tom Murphy. That'd be a fun one. I huh? could watch him swing and miss, or J.P. Crawford, a real man. Jake Fraley. Well, actually, he's a pretty good hitter. They... Ty France there. I remembered one. I knew it was going up. I remembered that. Right. Louis Torre. Oh, Jake Bowers. That, that, oh, that's God, that's not a real person. <laughs> <laughs> he's still around. I'm sure he's doing great. I'm happy. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. That, that would, I'll be honest. That would be hilarious. It was big. You, you screwed up NFTs. We don't like you anymore. And everyone's like, <laughs> and 90% of done. the population is like, what the hell is an NFT? <laughs> Maybe maybe at the the front of their mind, but they when what they were. What do you were, mean blockchain? What is that even? <laughs> when they were driving the knife into the back of tops, they were also kind of thinking about blockchain for. Also, the blockchain. You <laughs> forgot about the blockchain. <laughs> blood, blood, blood. On that note, Merritt, um, I think they'll do it for us this week. If you haven't already, leave us a review uh, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt R O Y. Merritt is that Merrill Lynch, like Merrill Lunch? F- uh, what? Like I'm Merrill launching Lynch my lunch. own series of <laughs> NFTs, too, so you keep your eye out on that. You can buy them. They're cheap. Can you call them Lunchables? Would that be illegal? I'll call them Lunchables, <laughs> though. Yeah. Uh, follow that Cover the Corner on Twitter, Covering the Corner on Facebook, and, of course, CoveringTheCorner.com. Uh, Merritt, talk to you next week. See you then.